Talking Teenagers. I'm James Schoen. And I'm James Certin. Conversation, expertise and advice on the world and well-being of our teenagers. Welcome to Talking Teenagers. And uh, this week we're keeping it in the family. We're talking to Olivia Schoen, James's better half. (laughs) (laughs) Olivia, we've heard a lot... Uh, in a previous podcast with James about obviously the difficulties he faced with a brain tumour, losing his sight, it would be really helpful, I think, to hear from your perspective about the challenges that you faced in that. Just give us the sort of narrative from your perspective. Sure. So in a nutshell, events kicked off just over eight years ago and we had four young children. Our youngest was age two and I was on the edge of exhaustion already with James working a seven-day week in term time. And I was really looking forward to September when I could just take a bit of time out for myself with nursery and kindergarten on offer. And then um, (laughs) the biggest shock, the biggest challenge happened, and James was diagnosed with a brain tumour. And um, we went through a year of challenge with surgeries and sight loss and job loss and house loss. Yeah, a year of challenge with, with four young kids in tow. And so... That's what I was dealing with. You talked about the short-term challenge and long-term challenge. Obviously, lots of parents face challenges, perhaps won't always on the scale of what you have, but some will have. Mm. How do you manage the short-term and, and cope with it, and, and how did it work in the long-term, both for you but also as a person but also as a parent? I think when things happen to you, you have to meet them to the same degree that you experience them in. And what I mean by that is if you experience a big challenge, a trauma like we did, I found I needed to match that with um, as much support as I could get. So for anyone out there um, who is going through a big challenge, if you're offered support, don't be proud. Just accept it from anybody. Life's not a competition. And that's practical support. Yes, practical support, essentially. I mean, and if anyone wants to give financially and, and that's a resource that you need, then accept that. But any kind of acts of kindness and support, childcare, yeah, I, I just took all of that that came my way and, and family delivered that. In fact, I couldn't share an awful lot with friends because many of the friends knew James was going to be the headmaster and so I had to keep quite quiet so I actually had quite a silent journey as well I couldn't share an awful lot but yeah I would say match it and and the second thing I did was might sound bizarre but I decided to run a marathon as I needed to I needed that outlet for um, what was going on in our physical realm I was visiting James in hospital for three months looking after four young children and I just needed that focus and it felt like the right thing to do so practical things I got the odd massage I got ready-made meals kind of spend more money if you've got it available if you can you know when you hit a big challenge meet it head on so ask for help but also do some self-help yes exactly I guess not everyone will want to run a marathon (laughs) no exactly but if it's sort of taking yourself off for a lovely walk or um, a weekend away with some girlfriends you know again don't be proud Don't think that you have to cope on your own, doing it all and putting a brave face on. You can ask for help and you can also spend time and even money supporting yourself. And that makes a big difference. And I guess not feeling too guilty about the children in that, you know, recognising that actually to be the best parent, you sometimes have to step back and or step away and Mm -hmm. put them in the hands of others, um, which isn't always 
yeah. a bad thing. Some people can feel quite guilty about that. Yeah, they? I think women especially. Um, I would say women are more prone to guilt than, than men, perhaps, in my experience. And so, yeah, I encourage mothers not to be proud and not to feel guilty because, as I hope I'll iterate in this podcast, the the best thing you can give your children is is yourself and the best version of yourself. So self-care is really, really important. It's not the same as self-indulgence or egocentricism. It's actually something that's really necessary. What about the longer journey then? Because that's possibly, from what I know of the pair of you, been the harder journey in a funny kind of way because the short term, you face with what you've got, you make the decisions, you, you run the race, but actually that longer bit afterwards when a lot of the support's dissipated, and I guess Duke's got a lot more of the support than you did. Yeah. Uh, in, in a funny kind of way, you had a lot more of the attention. How yeah. was that for you? Yeah. Well, it was really understandable that he should have um, the majority of the attention. Um, and I, I still received attention. And so um, that, that was fine. But yeah, there was a there was an ongoing challenge that um, I think when there's any kind of loss, there's a level of grief that has to be gone through. And then, I mean, I'm only seven years down the line, and uh, as is James with his sight loss and health loss and all of that. And I don't know how how much you ever get through it, but you you can move on, and we've certainly both moved on. But yeah, there's been an ongoing journey, which was one that I couldn't share with people. I think that was one of the hardest things. And there will be people listening to this who will have personal challenges that they aren't really able to share with people. It might be a, a health issue or a marriage that's struggling or a financial issue. And I can really identify with um, people who are going through those hidden challenges because in my case, it was James who was the obvious one who'd suffered and people would say to me, oh, you must be so thankful that he's okay. And I was sort of thinking, well, I haven't quite got to that place. If you really want to know the truth, I, I didn't say this to them. I'd be thinking, do you know what? I, I don't know if gratitude's quite there yet. I'm thinking there's been a lot of loss. And I, I was in a state of grief, a shock and denial. I sort of went through the Kubler-Ross um, framework you know back and forth but yeah there was some um, just describe that for those listening what, what does that mean it's um a narrative that it broadly speaking explains the process that some people go through it's quite common to go through various cycles when you um, are bereaved and and the initial one is one of shock and then a sort of a denial that some that something's actually happened and then there might be a phase of anger and after that comes um, a bargaining with oneself, maybe with God, maybe with others, and then there is the acceptance. But those um, cycles aren't um, exclusive. They come and go, but that's it, broadly speaking. And I think James and I would, we both recognise and laugh now. The anger cycle went on for a good two or three years. I was very angry. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I yeah, you don't share that. And everyone's saying, aren't you glad? Gosh, isn't James doing amazing? Isn't he amazing? Look at how well he's doing. So that didn't really, didn't help the anger probably. Um, so a silent, a quiet kind of coming to terms. And yeah, as I say, there are people out there listening to this who will be quietly going through stuff and maybe resentment is building up and there, there is a way through though is a way through when you say you had to stay quiet was that from a sense of it would be disloyal to be otherwise or just 
it, it, it wasn't worth communicating it because people weren't in a place to hear it? Why was that? I think probably both those things. Probably um, people love a success story. And, and James's story is one of success, but one of loss as well. And, and actually, people didn't really want to hear the truth. Not, not many. Some did. And then there was loyalty. Yeah, there are things that, you know, that has obviously affected family and affected marriage. And you don't tend to share those kind of deeper, more personal things. So for that reason, yeah. Mm. I mean, you, you talk about, you said bereavement. You said before, you, you, there was a loss, wasn't there? Not just for James in, in a very obvious sense, but you also lost the James that was before. Yeah, I, I did. And and sort of on a practical level, you know, the, there's the obvious things, not being so... Um, physically competent anymore, can't drive a car, can't read, can't do admin. Um, it wasn't can't always be that competent in those <laughs> yeah. things in the first place, to be clear. Or DIY, Knowing I before know. before and after. <laughs> so, so maybe the loss wasn't as great as it could have been. Um, but it's it's the hidden the hidden things. And and actually we're, we're in a really, um, in a much stronger place that I can say these things with him and I know he won't mind me sharing. But things um, that most people wouldn't see, which things like James's um, cognitive processing, you know, James can get tired very easily because of his brain surgery. And that just means the pace of life has to go more slowly or the kids can get noisy and I, I'm having to be aware or making sure there's not too many things in the diary um, or making sure in a conversation I'm not piling too many ideas in and too many demands and plans. So just really small things that permeate everyday life you just have to do it differently um, being aware in a, a mental emotional as well as a practical way of how to offer that kind of care and support to James so yeah yeah there's been a, um, an, an effect all over the place in, in terms of parenting did you see differences in the way that your children behaved and you know what advice would you, would you give to parents in the midst of challenge like that mm. how do you parent most effectively it's a very difficult question yes. to answer because everyone's so different but yeah, what, what sort of nuggets would you give to people I think I'd give two pieces of, of advice depending on the kind of challenge you're going through if you're going through a very obvious challenge let's say you know your your, your husband's lost his job or there's a health situation if it's something really obvious and you're going through it and the children are recognizing that there's an issue then I think it's really important to live in a place that's real with your children without overburdening them, without dumping anything on them, um, holding back some things that are, are not appropriate for them to know. But I would say don't hide stuff. If you're going through stuff that's very obvious, your children will know. So I would encourage parents to talk to their children about the challenge that's there. If it's a cancer diagnosis or job loss or, or a move, whatever it is, talk with your children about it and keep your own um, emotional reactions. Try to offload them somewhere else with friends or with a counsellor or do some meditation or run your triathlon, but, but communicate and, and have a level of honesty and reality with your children. That's what I'd say for the obvious challenge. To what degree there do you, do you get that balance right? Because you can't be a robot, can you? No. In terms of pretending that you, there is no emotional impact on you. But obviously, as you say, you don't want to be a dumping ground. How do you manage that? And I guess we're all human. We're not going to get it right 100% of the time. No, we're not. And I, I think there isn't um, 
an absolute code for how to live. We're dynamic, relational human beings. But we do have an innate wisdom. And we, we're having to use that the whole time in our interactions with our children when we're kind of reprimanding them for using their Xbox too much or whether we're giving them some advice about how to work harder. We're always trying to judge. Have we said it enough? Have we said it right? Have we said it in love? So tap into your inner wisdom and try to recognise, you know, that you're not using your child to dump on them, but you're also not trying to overly shield them and pretend that there's nothing going on. Because you've got to do life with your children. You've got to firstly teach your children and secondly model life to your children. But thirdly, you do life with your children. So do that part of your life, the challenge with them in a way that's respectful and loving and um, and doesn't overwhelm them. I think one of the things that we would also say is that our children have proved themselves to be a lot more resilient than yes, exactly. perhaps we would have realised. Yeah. Exactly, they can cope. And, and as you say um, in the I Can and I Am philosophy, you very much teach that setbacks can be springboards and not to shield children from failure and difficulty. And so I think that's really important that you don't try to, to shield them in a wrong way because this is life and you're doing life with them and it's all part of their upbringing. In terms of your children, was there anything specific that you noticed around the area of challenge that certain reactions that some of them had that others didn't that you just had to be hyper alert to? I think at the time, no, because it was it was very traumatic at the time. So no. But then as we came out of that obvious challenge and we went into the season of ongoing challenge, that's when, when I started to do my, I suppose we'll call it my grief work, my inner work, which is where the meditation sort of became a prominent feature. As I worked on myself, I then became more aware of my children's needs and their responses. And so I would say that, that as you work on yourself, you're going to be more naturally responsive to where your children were at. And yes, I did start to notice certain reactions, certain children who, you know, we, we just wanted to shut down one child, another child who got very, very anxious if anyone in the family got ill, another child who got very angry with me for being distracted whenever I was on my phone. And I realized this kind of went back to that traumatic year where they felt excluded and, and they didn't have a, a very present mother. So I began to notice patterns that were emerging as I settled myself, as I sort of came home to myself, became more self-aware. Yeah. Talk to us about the meditation, because I know it's been incredibly helpful for you. You talk about settling yourself and you were saying how that's allowed you to be more aware of your children. Mm. How does that, a lot of people hear the word meditation and what, how, you know, how is that going to help me? How has it worked for you? It's been really good. It's been an organic process for myself. And I, funny enough, I'd say it started when I trained for my marathon. I became very aware as I was running outside every day of, the, the, of nature and the bigger picture and getting out reminded me that there was more to life than just my experience and my life at that time. Um, and I've always, been, um, I've always been quite contemplative and my um, spiritual background has given me an introduction into that. So it's been quite homegrown and I've developed my own way of meditating 
and now offer that to other people in courses or retreats. And I use different techniques, but you can go out and learn those techniques. You can either come on one of mine or you can go out and do a mindfulness course. Or um, there, are, there are other things around. You can do centering prayer ones or breathwork ones, um, ones that use mantras. For myself, the meditation is, it's about connecting me to myself where I can observe what's going on have that awareness and that acceptance of, of what's going on in my inner world, because that's where trauma really kind of takes place. It operates in our minds and our hearts. And our bodies as well. And our bodies. It's fascinating, really fascinating. So I've, I've ventured into um, yoga as well, because I found that very restorative. And it's, yeah, it's utterly fascinating. But that's another, another podcast with someone else, the holistic dimension. But yeah, meditation does take you into a more holistic experience of oneself and I would also say importantly for me an experience of the beyond that life isn't just about me and my concerns and my family there's a bigger realm out there a bigger narrative for me that has a spiritual dimension and it has God in it but I encourage people to explore that bigger realm of meaning um, because it helps frame one's own story in something larger and and gives a different perspective, that decentering of the self. And um, does it does it help bring a sort of peace and and a greater ability to cope with going through the difficult yeah. times of, of trauma and definitely, yeah. definitely. I mean, I don't know what you'd say, <laughs> but I I I got burnout, um, as you know, James. I think four and a half years ago, where, where I just one morning, I went away for a night and I just couldn't stop sleeping and I came home and I was still exhausted and I, I realised quite quickly that I had got physical burnout and adrenal fatigue, to give it a technical term. And that was when I really had to come home to myself and do this inner work. So I, I had some really good counselling and I got into meditation more. I was, yeah, two things struck me. One is the ability to frame your story and the challenge of your story in a bigger narrative which which is helpful sometimes because otherwise i suspect in challenge you can become very feel like you're very locked into a yes. particular yeah. way of doing things yeah i think the other thing is that the, the burnout almost certainly arises doesn't it i think this may be true more of mothers than fathers as well about that sense that it's really again coming back to what something we said earlier quite selfish to spend time on yourself when you have four children and a husband who's visually impaired and there's so many things to do and so many jobs that you feel you have to complete but actually giving yourself that space and for some people it's really hard isn't it it is especially during lockdown yeah. and you know all those yes. times uh, how yeah. how do you square that with yourself and how what yeah. would you say to, to sort of mothers and dads out there who are in a similar situation i think i'd um, something I've really learned and, and tell friends is don't try to be your children's ultimate saviour. Don't, don't try to play God for them. You can't protect them from everything. You simply can't and you will get burnt out trying to do that, which is what I did. You have to let them face the world. You can't do everything for them. You can't be the perfect mother as well as being the perfect wife and perfect employee and everything else, you know, that the world seems to ask of, of women, ask of all of us. And we often willingly go along with that story. But just 
let go of some of those demands and and recognize yeah you can't do everything for your children you're going to have to let them go one day into the big wide world and actually that process starts when they're younger and that leads back to what i was saying earlier about um allowing them to see that you're going through something uh, being real with them because that's what life is like life is full of real difficult and beautiful things and and they're going to experience that so don't push yourself too hard because you're never going to save them completely <laughs> that's wise that's really wise i think a lot of the podcast conversations we've had are built around the idea of how dangerous it can be if we are constantly trying to protect some sort of sanitized mm. perfect yeah. adolescence yeah. where nothing goes wrong and no hurt is ever given and no dis- yeah. disappointment received that actually in order to cope with the tough things about life you have to go through the tough things of life and sometimes the sun doesn't shine quite so brightly actually if you haven't had those moments either i like the idea as well of out of the trauma come some good things Mm. um you know i love it when a a child with me if i open the fridge and they know that i can't really see what's in the fridge that they come along and they help me find what i'm looking for and may even say what do you what, what do you want me to get dad and so I, I do think that sometimes, you know, you go through that and they can learn qualities from having a father who's disabled. Yeah. In fact, uh, we had a, a similar moment to that in our house on a totally different scale. But my youngest son had his birthday recently. And any disruption to the routine of my autistic son is really difficult. Um, it, it throws him and he doesn't like it. And birthdays and Christmas, believe it or not, are some of the worst days for that because obviously they're slightly off grid in terms of what we normally do and my youngest said to my autistic boy he said now when would it be best for us to open the presents and to have the cake and what would work best for you and I thought gosh that's incredible isn't it you know that level of empathy that he has learned that he wouldn't have learned if he hadn't been through the the difficulty and it's hard isn't it for a sibling to have an autistic sibling you know but actually he he had got it, you know, and um, as you say, they are very willing to help. They are very willing to sort of engage in the process of restoration and coping with the new life and adapting. And and they're, they're actually at their best and we should really be encouraging them to take part in the restoration of the family and, and the like, rather than, or, you know, this yeah. the new world of the family and the challenge and not to sort of make them feel that they are not part of that. Because actually the subliminal message we send to them if we don't is that you are not able to cope with this. Yes. Which is a very dangerous message. It is. And and that we need to be the saviour and, yes. and rescue them and provide. And, and they, they yeah. then take on board, and quite a lot of research has been shown around this, the sense that I can be of no use in this situation. So when challenges come their way again, they have this sort of learned helplessness. And the message mm. they've received is, you're not going to be able to find a way out of this. You'll need to yeah. rely on somebody else. Yeah, I really concur with that. The The meditation idea, I mean, there's a lot of research recently that has gone to show that actually mindfulness meditation, people who, in, who I don't want to say the word indulge because that makes it sound like it's a sort of luxury, <laughs> practice. but practice is a much better word, actually lead happier lives or are more content, not better lives, but ones yeah. that, that allow them to cope with that that i think contentment's a better word of yeah. that inner sense of being able to cope with life yeah. why do you think that is i think the reason is is that we 
we tend in the West to want to live our lives on the outside. But actually, so much of what it means to be human goes on on the inside of us, in our minds and in our hearts and in our sort of spirit, souls, if, if you see it like that. And meditation is a way of giving space to that part of yourself, allowing things to come to the surface so you can acknowledge them, maybe grieve them, maybe let go of them, maybe make choices about those things. But it's a way of giving space to that inner world so that you can help it to settle. If, if you don't give it that space, then you're I'm not saying anyone who doesn't do meditations in denial because that's that's too extreme. But, you know, it's very easy to deny the inner reality of what we're experiencing. And then it just means that we live in our kind of monkey mind and and it will come out sideways. So I think we, we're very good at running away from pain in our modern Western society. We're very good at distracting ourselves from it. We're very good at reframing the narrative. So it doesn't feel like a disappointment or it doesn't feel like this. And I suspect that you had, you know, the people coming up to you saying, isn't it great? He's, you know, Jukes is this, a partly reframing the narrative in a way that's trying to be positive. But actually, again, there's a, there's a degree of actually pushing aside some of the emotional yeah, baggage. Inability right? to really be honest about the situation. Um, I would come back to the idea that when one goes through suffering when when we go through suffering, that fruit can be born from it and good can come out of it. And to deny it, as you say, is, is pushing it down into a corner and actually the toxins will come out in another way. Well, the fruit's going to take a lot longer to come, isn't mm. it? It, and it, it? Yeah, and I was thinking if you were to say, so what is the fruit? I, I, I'm... We're still, we're still in growth. We're still waiting um, to see it in our children, but I think in their characters. And that won't really be evident until they've lived several, you know, many more years. You, you see the unfurling of that person. But it's a long game, raising children. It's not about getting them to perform or providing everything and protecting them. All those words, performance, provide, perform. They're, they're kind of interesting words, but I, I don't think that's what, parenting's about it's um about enabling and actually the, the fruit doesn't just come out in this beautiful way all flowers grow up with weeds around them don't they yeah and i think and i guess flowers need sunshine and rainfall don't they they need a bit of both yeah it's difficult isn't it i mean to, how do you with meditation if we can come back to that one more time is there a way we can teach our children mm. about the benefits of meditation even if it's time on your own or time in solitude or time in silence or stillness yeah uh, this is where i'd i'd love to say we've got it nailed as a family and <laughs> we've got these amazing practices but i'm sure um the listeners will identify that your children don't always listen to you when you're in your professional kind of role and and so um i would advise parents because my, my children have listened to me and and they found it kind of helpful but I'm too close to them I'd encourage your children to go to the um, mindfulness courses or classes that their schools run most schools tend to do these things now as an after-school club so I'd get them to do that but I'd also really encourage times of silence in the home reducing the time the amount spent on a screen trying to our, our children tend not to be great readers 
but I'll still just go, well, I don't, I don't care if you're not going to read, just go and be in your room. Just go and be in your room on a Saturday afternoon for half an hour or at bedtime. Try to c- get them to cultivate being on their own, being on their own and being silent. We used to use the phrase taken from a school that we both worked at called rest and read. Yes, you're exactly. either going to read or you're going to rest, yes. but it's quiet and um, this is the time for it now. And that's kind of important, and especially just before bed, I think. So really recognising that we are all, in this day and age, um, entertainment junkies. We love being entertained to death um, and distracted from silence. Sometimes that silence is, is quite painful and difficult, but actually it's very healing when we face silence, when we face ourselves, and when we can even find there's something, there are real gifts in silence, gifts of peace and gratitude and an awareness of that which is beautiful around yeah cultivating that in one's family which i think we try to do i guess um leaning on other people as mentors for your children as well kind of Mm. partly what you're saying there is you need school you need family you need other people to sometimes step in and again that comes back to this idea when you're coping with challenge actually finding someone your child might not always talk to you yeah that always can feel a bit hard to parents can't it yeah it can be difficult to feel that actually the best place they can be might be with someone else i know but actually um that's true and It, it really is again it comes back to that thing of you know we're not meant to be our child's sort of sole reference point their savior you know it's a wide big wide world and they're gonna have to find their own way and we don't want to teach them that they can't cope without us so and not making and reconciling yourself with that and not making them feel that that's a bad thing. Yeah. Some parents will often say, I've heard from Mr. So-and-so at school that you're thinking this or feeling that. Why didn't you tell me? Mm-hmm. Which is not really the starting platform of it, is it? And how we respond to information that's given to us from another about our children, that there has to be a very cautious and tentative approach in how you bring that up with them without in any way making them feel that they should have come to you first, but always at keeping the door open that they can. Good. Any other words of wisdom, Olivia? I think I'd, um, yes, Jamie, I'd also love to throw in two other points. One is that as adults, as parents, we have a choice about who we want to be. We're not victims of our circumstances. We can choose who we want to be. And I found that incredibly empowering and has helped me let go of, of any kind of resentment that might want to hang around and the other thing which I, I think my husband's really taught me he's very good at this is is love sounds cheesy but love really is um is so key to the human experience so if you can cultivate love um get that to grow in your heart choose love towards others show it to your children let them love you let your friends love you let them help you if you can cultivate love then yeah that's gonna really really help you and and that's one of the beautiful things that can come out of times of challenge and suffering and through challenge and through teenage years which are often challenging for a parent uh, someone said to me once always keep that sort of the love sounds really cheesy in america and the love channel open but always let there be a sense that that is the door is open to love the door is always there however difficult a situation might be keep loving keep that that channel open always and and not just because of its sort of performative value that it's going to help your child but actually for you the parent it's just a much more enjoyable way to live life and and again meditation has helped me to kind of open my heart up to 
hosting love as opposed to anger and irritation and those kind of negative emotions. So having love in your heart is a much more enjoyable way of living your own life. And again, that will kind of have an effect on your children. So it's an upwards, upwards um, cycle. Yeah. I don't think there's a better way to end the podcast than that, if they're on the subject of the upward cycle of love. Yes. (laughs) Bit cheesy, but yes. Thank you so much for being with us today, Olivia. Pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Talking Teenagers. Music has been by Rue Paynes. Editing by George Purvis and James Certin. For more information about I Can and I Am Charity, who provide presentations and resources and help build self-confidence in young people, visit their website at icanim.com. Be a soul.